you can be seated. Tell you what, if you weren't here in the first service, you missed a special moment. We dedicated my beautiful niece, Raina Vivian Cusick, Colin Becca, wanted to get her dedicated, and we just love her and are so excited that you guys want to train her up in the things of God, and we commend you for that, and we surround you as a family as you train her and love her uh, this morning. She's got the cutest dress on, so be sure to bring her up so everyone can, uh, can see her dress this morning, but it was a beautiful time uh, having a baby dedication. Well, I'm excited as we uh, take step two in our series, Fight for Faith. Um, and we've been talking about, last week, we talked about win your war. That everyone has a war that they're fighting. That the Christian life isn't this playground or isn't just this thing we stumble upon, but it's something we fight for. It's something that is a battleground. And when we have the mindset that we do spiritual warfare as believers, that there is a fight to take place, that if you don't fight for it, you're not going to attain it. And that's the same with faith, that there is this rest that is in faith, but we have to fight to stay in faith because the enemy's version of faith is fear. The enemy would love no more than to keep you in a place of fear. So when you're resting in that place of faith, fear's not going to touch you because you're fighting to stay in faith. And even bigger than that, really the faith we're talking about is Christianity at large that it's not just I'm believing for this and I'm putting my faith for this or standing in faith for that. That's an aspect of faith. But really we see in the world around us that faith is being challenged. Faith is being, we hear these words of I've been sharing of apostasy. We hear these words of deconstruction of faith. That we don't want that to take place in our life, but we want to fight for the faith we've been given and the faith that's been entrusted to us. And really when you read 1 and 2 Timothy, Paul is commending and imploring and urging Timothy to fight for the deposit, guard the deposit, a passage of scripture says, that was given to Timothy from Paul. So you all ready to fight for faith this morning? Pray you are. Well, we've been looking through the book of Jude, and we ran through it pretty quickly last week, and Jude presents this problem that the church was having, that he longed to share about the heart of salvation, but he couldn't go on until this issue in the church was addressed. And the issue was this, that Jude addressed, if you read in the first three verses of Jude, is Jude said that there's this perversion of grace that was going around. There's this perversion that uh, grace is a license to sin, a license to do whatever you want, and then in the end, you can just opt out for the mercy of God. So there's a wrong understanding of how grace works. But we see that as Jude confronts this attitude of grace, and really the working definition that I gave you last week was this, is that we understand biblical grace, holy and spirit-empowered grace, is not a license to sin, but it's empowerment to win against it. That we have victory when we allow the grace of God to permeate our lives. And then we have the ability to win against temptation, to win against fear. Aren't you thankful that you're not left empty-handed to just stumble and fumble through life? But we can be on mission, we can be on focus, and we can fight for the faith that has been given to us. And so I want to bring up this morning, you see the message title is Remember Lot's Wife. And we're going to see that this is a prophecy, this is an urgency that Jesus gives us in Luke 17 that he connects into really probably one of the weirdest Old Testament stories you'll read of, if you know Lot's wife, she was turned into a pillar of salt. We see crazy things happen. 
in the Old Testament, uh, but it really serves as an example, I believe, more than, than ever for today that we need to visit with what we see going on in our world and really what we face as believers and how we deal with things. And Jude, again, just, just uh, says it loud and clear because he goes even into the point of how do we deal with those that are struggling in the church? How do we deal with those outside of the church that are struggling, that aren't in faith? He says that we should be gentle on the person, but tough on the sin. And I think that's how we're to even deal with ourselves is that when we're in this place of sin or we're struggling against it, we're tough on it, we're proactive against it, but then we're gentle on ourselves and not seeing, letting ourselves get in shame and condemnation, feeling like I can never change, but being focused and saying, I'm gonna attack the sin, I'm gonna fight because I know that in the end, sin leads to destruction. Scripture says it feels good for a moment, but in the end, the path of sin is destruction. But when we fight for faith and we fight to be led by the Holy Spirit, there is a great benefit and there is a great reward. And that's what the kingdom of God teaches us. So Jude 1 verse 7, here's where we see Jude reference into Sodom and Gomorrah. He says this, he says, As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves. So we see even reference into Romans 1 18 through 25, you can go and you read it where it says that they had given themselves over or God had given them, he said, okay, you want this free will, you can have it. So they have given themselves over to sexual immorality. And it says not only just sexual immorality, but to the point and to the place of going after strange flesh. So we're talking sodomy, we're talking homosexuality is what's being said here. And it says, and Sodom and Gomorrah, Judah saying, is to be set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. And so Jude is saying, in order not to apostatize, and what we're going to see in Luke 17, when the end of days begins to come and the scene begins to be set of when Jesus returns, he says, it's going to look as though it was in the days of Sodom and Gomorrah, or as though in the days of Noah. And so as your pastor, my heart is, is in such a graceful, loving way to say, we need to discern, we need to be aware. If Jesus says this, Jesus, not one of the apostles, but Jesus says this, what we're gonna see in Luke 17, then we need to take heed to it, and we need to know the depth of what he's trying to tell us, so that you and I, when we finish our race, we hear, well done, good and faithful servant. When you sit under a, a pastor and under a church, their main job is, is one of my professors told me, is you're to prepare those for the judgment seat, that all of us have an appointment where we stand before God and we're going to give an account of our lives. And so I shared several weeks ago in our series, Resilient Faith, that there's always two signs of the coins when, when Jesus speaks. There's times when he speaks with such grace and love and mercy, but then the other sign, side of the coin is he speaks with urgency, he speaks very direct, he says, beware, look out, don't fall for this. Because the Bible even says in Ephesians that in the end, even the very elect will be deceived. And so this, when you fight for faith, you're fighting against deception. You're fighting against deception in your family of what you allow through the doors of your eyes and of your heart. See, the Bible says too in, P in, in 2 Peter, it's when it talks about the flesh, and you're gonna hear me reference the flesh. What the flesh means of what we war against the flesh to be in the spirit is the flesh is the lust of the eyes it's the pride of life, and it says it's the lust of the flesh. 
So it's, it's this lust, it's this wanting, it's this desire for the things of the flesh. And when we see the title this morning, Remember Lot's Wife, she had a lust for the pride of life. She had a lust for the flesh. And so when Jesus said, remember Lot's wife, he's setting her as an icon or as a memoriam to say, remember her decision so that you don't fall into the same thing. All right, let's see what Jesus says. And I'm gonna read through quickly, starting at verse 20, and then we'll get to 32 where he gives us this prophecy of remember Lot's wife. And so he's talking about the coming of the kingdom. Verse 20 says, how when, now when he asked the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation. So it's saying there's something much deeper at work. You're not gonna see this big physical kingdom established, but it's something much more powerful. It says, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Anybody thankful that you got the kingdom of God living inside of you? It's a great promise we have. It says, then he said to the disciples, the days come when you will desire Um, I'm going to read from here, a different translation. It says, then he said to the disciples, the days will come when you desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you do, or and you will not see it, and they will say to you, look here, or look there. Do not go after them or follow them. For as the lightning that flashes out of one part under heaven shines to the other part under heaven, so also the Son of Man will be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Pause there for a second. How many of you would say that we're living in a generation that wants to reject Jesus or wants to reject his ways, his teaching? So he's setting the stage. There's going to come a time when the things of God are just going to be flat out rejected. And so we see that there's going to be this generation that is going to reject God. Verse 26 And as it was in the days of Noah, so here's where he pulls in the story of Noah, so it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. And here's what's so interesting about Bible prophecy or the end times, is it's going to come, and the Bible says when you read the story of the virgins, the the five who had oil and the five who didn't, is he'll come as like a thief in the night. So that's why we always have to be prepared. We prepare like... Uh, he could come tomorrow, or we live like he could come today, but we prepare like he could come tomorrow. That's how we're supposed to live. And so here's where he says, so as in the days of Noah, when the Son of Man comes back, people are going to be getting married. They're going to be given in marriage, and it goes on to say they're just going to be living their lives. And it says, until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Again, this is Jesus talking. He says, likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, so here's where we see Sodom and Gomorrah pulled into the story. It says they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, and they built. But on the day that Lot went out from Sodom, it says it rained fire and it rained brimstone. Yes, this is a fire and brimstone message this morning. Pray for me. Joking. It says, having destroyed them all, even so will it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. It says, in that day, he who is on the housetop and his goods are in the house, let him not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field, let him not turn back. Verse 32, and here's where we see, out of all of this, he pulls in one part of the story of the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. He says, remember Lot's wife. And when I read this, it jumped out of the pages to me and saying, okay, why is Jesus putting emphasis on Lot's wife? 
We need to look into her life, do a case study on who Lot's wife was. We never really get her name as you read into the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. She just always referred to Lot's wife, so we'll call her Mrs. Lot this morning. Uh, But Jesus says very clearly, remember Lot's wife. And so that's what I want to preach to you this morning. And if you go on to read it, let's, let's do verse 33 and we'll end it there. But we all know this scripture. We, we've heard it read before, but we kind of don't get the context of what it's in, where it, Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. And then it says, whoever seeks to save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will preserve it. So that's really the dichotomy or the paradox of the gospel right there in a nutshell. But before we, we see that scripture, Jesus says, you've got to remember Lot's wife. As you look into this, and really what I want you to hear, because this was urgency Jesus was talking about, is he was giving this discourse of what the kingdom of God would look like. When he says, remember Lot's wife, it's as though he stops in the middle of what he's preaching and says, okay, there has to be this urgency here. And what he's saying is, and one theologian compared it to the phrase, remember the Alamo remember the Alamo, that it was this rally cry or it was this battle cry to say as they were going into this next battle, into this next fight, it was motivated because of what was taken from them at the Alamo. So as they were fighting on to their next battle and they said, remember the Alamo, it was to put, and it was to, they were seeking vengeance. They were seeking blood for what had been done. So it was to put them in focus based off what had happened. And so I believe the same way Jesus is saying to us as the days grow cold and as the the tide begins to turn and we see wickedness and we have to face immorality and we're faced with choices and decisions and we see not just in public and not just in a country but in our own homes, in our own churches, in our own lives. Jesus is saying, remember Lot's wife. Remember what it took place in her life. So you all ready to see who Lot's wife was this morning? If you don't know, we're gonna jump right in. So we see quickly um, that what was just referenced by Jesus was in the days of Noah. When you look in the days of Noah, which come before the days of Lot, we see a lot of lawlessness and uh, violence that was present in Noah's day. And so we know what happened in Noah's day. A flood came, saved a family on the ark, and then God rebuilt the world from there. And he sent a rainbow as a promise that he would never destroy the earth destroy the world by flood or by water ever again. I think it's pretty cool because in our part of the town, our part of the, the country, we have the Creation Museum, we have the Ark, and um, I just think we have this blessing where you get to walk through it and really dissect it and see the heart of it of what was taking place in that time. So if you haven't gone to the Ark, I challenge you to go. But moving on, we see then the days of Lot, which come after the days of Noah, is we see really immorality come to a whole nother place and a whole nother level. We see that it's not just lawlessness and violence, but we see where the word of God says that there was a strange flesh. There was, uh, there was sodomy. That's where we get our word sodomy from, just to say it plain. Um, that's where we get our word of, of where we see there was homosexuality. And when you read Genesis 19, it was such in a place of such delusion and such perversion that it wasn't just the adults or the old people or the older generation. It had trickled down as low of children were participating in these things. And when you go and read it, you'll see it. And so I say all that so that you just feel the vileness and the wickedness that was in that time. And we're going to go into it deeper next week where we see in Genesis 13 that Abraham 
is a type of, of Christ where he's interceding for the town. He's interceding for the village. He's saying, if, if, if we just find 50 people, will you not bring judgment upon that town? And then you see where they go back and forth. Okay, how about 45? How about 30? And all they could find was one righteous man whose name was Lot and his family. And so I challenge you to read Genesis 19 this week. But next week, we're gonna look at the life of Lot of how all of this took place. But we're gonna kind of set it up as Star Wars this week where we're gonna start with episode three and see what happened, or episode six, and then we're gonna work our way back because the saga is really in of what happened with Lot's wife. And that's specifically who Jesus commands us to, to remember. It doesn't say remember Lot. It doesn't say remember Abraham specifically. It says remember Lot's wife. And so I wanna give you three points this morning as we look at her life um, that you would take to heart and that you would, as you're praying, as you're looking at the signs of the times, as you're looking at your life, your decisions, that God gives us icons, examples, fathers, sisters of the faith of old so that it can be a blueprint because really the Old Testament isn't good and bad people. It's bad people and then there's God, there's Jesus, there's the mercy, the grace of God because we know outside of grace, outside of the mercy of God, where our flesh will take us is what we see revealed in scripture. When you're led by the flesh, you get the product of the flesh. But when you're, the, the same works on the other side. When you're led by the spirit, you get the results of the spirit. And that's my heart as your pastor is that you would choose the spirit and not the flesh. But again, what is the flesh? It's not just your physical body. It's the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, what scripture teaches on being motivated by this lust to have and to want what your passions, what your desires are outside of the spirit of God. When you look at sin and when we remember her past, we have to understand that sin is this. Sin is an exercise in self-focus and that of self-worship is a definition of sin I found. So when you're in a place of sin, it's very selfish. When you think of times you've sinned in your life, it's usually a selfish motive that's motivating that place of sin. But you and I this morning who have the kingdom of God within us, hear this, because this is the grace and the truth we have. Saving faith frees us from sin's power. Somebody said amen. This is the power we have of saving faith. It enables us to choose what God wants over what we want. I shared the quote from A.W. Tozer, a great theologian. He said that the purpose of prayer is that we put ourselves and we don't leave that place of prayer until our wants, until our desires align with what God wants and what his desire is. That is the hard work of prayer of what he said. And so that's what takes place as we pray, as we worship, as we raise a hallelujah as we sing this morning. Instead of wanting to make much of ourselves, what happens is we learn to want to make much of our maker. So the focus begins to, to even when you're fighting sin and temptation, the focus gets off of yourself and gets off of what that sin is, and you start putting your focus on him, and then you see his grace come upon you, his empowerment, and you begin to see victory come into your life. You begin to see, okay, I can do this, not because of what I'm doing, but because of the grace of God activated and operating in my life. This is what saving faith does. And so when you look at Lot's wife's past, Mrs. Lot's past, what we see is, really echoed even in several verses before Jude 1, 7, where it talks about Israel and how Israel 
uh, went about in the wilderness to not, they were physically out of Egypt, but Egypt, the way of Egypt was not out of them. And so we see really this um, reflection and this puzzle put together of the same as what Lot's wife is struggling with. That as the warning came to Lot and his family, two angels enter into the town. You can read it in Genesis 19. And it says that they were given this warning to get out because the cries of those, of the wickedness of Sodom, that it's deaf in the ears of God, that he has to act. And so that's where we see the intercession of trying to save the city. But then when the angels came, here's what is crazy about the story of Lot. And here's where we see this really the vileness and, and the, the wickedness of the time is when they had caught word that Lot was hosting visitors, that there was fresh meat that came into the town. The way that they wanted to greet or welcome the visitors, the Bible says that they began to bang on the door of Lot's house. And it says, Lot, let us have your visitors so that we may know them, i.e. so that we may rape them is what was taking place there. And again, I say that to let it sink in that this is what the vileness in the time was like then. So this is what Lot and his family living in Sodom and Gomorrah, this was the norm. That if you were to call the police and that were happened, you wouldn't get an answer back because the police would most likely be right there and a part of it. That was just the norm of that time. And so you see that these, these men, these, and, and what's so saddening and so disheartening, it says, it wasn't just the old men that were there. It was young and old, the Bible specifically says. So it was every generation wanting to get on and, and, and sodomize these visitors and sodomize these men. And so we see what's taking place here. And, and here's what we're going to get into next week is because in Peter, Lot, Lot is considered a righteous man. But what we see is Lot had his own set of issues too, that he struggled living in Sodom and Gomorrah. It even says um, in Peter as well that Lot, Lot was vexed, that he went back and forth, that he struggled being in Sodom and Gomorrah because it was that powerful and it was that much of a, of a disease, a way of thinking, a way of mind that was so potent to come upon you. And so what we see happen is Lot and his dysfunction, and I don't know about you, but with my two daughters, this would never be my response. You go and you read it, it says that he didn't want to give over the two visitors, the two angels that were with him. So he has this grand idea, and he says, how about I give you my two virgin daughters, and you can have and do what you want with them, but don't touch my visitors. Like, that was the righteous man Lot's response. I don't know about you, but that doesn't make sense to me. And so we see, oh, no, we don't want them, and they rejected Lot's daughters, that they wanted these two men. And so what we see happen is the angels intervene because the crowd started getting pushy and rowdy, and we're going to take the home by force. So the Bible says the angels pull the men in and, and rescue them, and that's where as uh, the angels blinded, the angels did a miracle and blinded the men on the other side so they couldn't see. And by doing that, gave them time, and the, and the warning was issued from the angels to Lot's family that God's going to destroy the city. Get your family out of here and do it quick. Now here's what we see too. And again, this is just giving us context of who Lot's wife was. Is when the warning was given, if, you were to, if angels were to appear to your home and give you the warning that God's going to bring judgment or destruction and you need to get to the town of Zoar, which is pretty awesome because it means refuge, it means sanctuary, you need to get to the town of Zoar 
if that warning was given to me, I don't know if I would grab anything but my kids and my wife and I would be out of there. Well, it says that warning was given in the evening and it wasn't till mid-morning that Lot and his family decided to run and flee into Zoar. And so we see just a lot of these little details you miss when you read over it, that there was just this lazy faith. There was this, this, this slack where I'm not really taking the warnings or the urgencies of God serious. And when we look at the past of Lot's wife, that's something we have to take into consideration is that when we read the word of God, it's not something we're just to take lackadaisical. When we see or hear God speak, the best way is to respond right there. Start moving in that direction. Don't try to get your stuff and try to get things in place. Matter of fact, Jesus even talks about that. He says, what good is it if when you go and enter into the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of heaven comes upon you, let the dead bury the dead. He also says is when you put your hand to the plow that you're not to look back. You're not to look back. And so when you want to see the kingdom of God come into your life, there's this posture of I'm moving forward and I'm not looking back. I'm not allowing the past that God is rescuing me from because the mercy of God revealed here is God giving the opportunity and the chance to rescue this righteous family, to rescue Lot and, and their kids. And so when she made the turn, the Bible says, as they're fleeing out of Sodom and Gomorrah, you know what happened? She was turned into a pillar of salt. And so it was by her looking back, it was this longing that was in her, the longing of the flesh that the mercy of God was activated in her life. Just like we said that when you want the kingdom of God, you put your hands to the plow and you don't look back. You don't give your past that sort of power in your life anymore. But there was this longing within her was, well, I'm leaving everything I've known. I'm leaving other family members. I'm leaving friends. I'm leaving my wealth. Because if you know anything about Lot, he was extremely wealthy. So I can tell you they had a lot of real estate. They had a lot of stuff. And the way of Sodom was very luxurious. It was very rich in nature. The grounds, the, 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 the agriculture that was there. And so the pull of Sodom was very strong. And it's something she could not push past. And it was that example that Christ was giving us when he says, remember Lot's wife. Don't allow your past. Don't allow the things that I've rescued and take you from. Don't linger there anymore. Because when there's that pull to look back, it's almost as though at times the enemy wants to try to get you to re-engage in the very thing he set you free from and get you back in that sort of cycle. So he's saying, remember her past. Don't follow that same path that Lot's wife took. Number two is this, remember her privileges. Remember her privileges. Now here's the thing I know about kind of really my walk and my testimony and a powerful moment I had in my life growing up in church, growing up having grandparents, building a church, having family and parents and church family supporting and, and getting us in the presence of God, getting us on trips, getting us in a place to, to hear and receive who God is, receive the kingdom of God, is when you look at her privileges, again, is Lot's wife, they were very wealthy. Lot Lot was the nephew of Abraham, who God blessed the entire, the world we know it through. And so if I was the nephew of Abraham, how many of you know you would hear some stories of faith that would probably rock your world? That you would see that God, this relationship that Abraham had with Lot, and therefore Lot's wife being married to Lot, 
there would be such stories when they would sit around the table, I'm sure, and they would share, and they would get just these stories of faith of how amazing and how powerful God is, how redeeming he is. And so that's why I've had this great privilege of being around this family of faith. I can remember a time in my life when I left here and graduated and, and went to the, to the Honor Academy, a Bible college, an internship, is that was really a time where I made my faith my own. And this has to happen in every believer's life. When you grow up in a church or maybe a pastor's kid or you, you grow up in the things of God, I'm thankful for my grandparents' faith. I'm thankful for my family's faith. But until it becomes mine, there's not really going to be any power in it. There's a safety and a protection. And just like Lot's wife, she was around the things of God. But there wasn't this, this, this fight that she was in to keep Sodom, to keep the ways of Sodom out of her home, out of her children's life. And so when you remember her privileges, don't ever fall for the belief, if I just come to church, if I just get religious about this thing, then I'm going to have this vibrant, fervent relationship with God. It has to come through you going after it yourself. It has to come for you fighting for that time with God. That's why we celebrate what John 3, 3 says. It says, every man must be born again. And if he's not born again, he can't see the kingdom of God. That's why we celebrate our salvation. That's why we celebrate the decision that you made, that we made when you said, I'm now following Jesus. I'm putting away the things of the flesh. I'm putting away the things of, my, of the past. I'm now a part of the kingdom of God. So it's remembering her privileges. Number three is this. It's you got to remember her punishment. As much as, as tough as it is, I don't know about you, but I never like remembering times I was punished. I don't think anybody does. It's something we like to block out. That leather belt has a way of making you forget things pretty quick. <laughs> but this is something we really have to look at, is we have to look at the punishment that happened because of her disobedience. Ultimately, it's her disobedience. It's her heart. It's that double-mindedness. And James even says, a double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways. And so Lot's wife was very unstable. She was pulled between the world and she was pulled between the refuge, Zoar, that God was trying to lead them to. But look what it says. This is what happened, is she turned. It says in Genesis 19.23, the sun had risen upon the earth when Lot entered Zoar. Then the Lord rained brimstone and fire on Sodom and Gomorrah from the Lord out of the heavens. So he overthrew those cities, all the plain, all the inhabitants of the city, and what grew on the ground. Here's where we see Lot's wife mentioned. It says, but his wife Lot looked back behind him and she became a pillar of salt. You know, when you look at salt here, you have to see why this took place and what it's to mean for you and I. Is when you understand salt in that context and in that time, salt would be known as refrigeration. Salt would preserve. And so when she was, was turned into a pillar of salt, it wasn't just a pile of salt. It, was, it was, would have been crystallized and it would have been, she would have been standing there as a reminder to anyone who would have seen it, or when Lot were to see it, it would be a reminder to him and to his family. And so it was set as though a memorial that you would not repeat, that when you think and when you see that picture that's ingrained in your head of, of Lot's wife because of her disobedience turned into a pillar of salt, that this was all in foretaste of what Jesus would one day say, remember Lot's wife, that she was 
she was set as a memorial so that you and I never forget, that we never forget the, the uh, fruits of what happens when there's disobedience in our lives. And you know, when you look in the New Testament, and I close with this, is Paul has a lot to say about moving forward. When you think about it too, you can't drive a car looking back. You have to stay focused and moving forward. And so that's what the heart of all of remembering Lot's wife is this, is found in Philippians 3, 13 through 14. This is Paul talking. He says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, and this is what the truth that Paul understood. And I can tell you, he remembered Lot's wife. He said this, he said, I do forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. See, that's the life you and I are supposed to live. That's the life Jesus gave himself for, is that we turn from our past, we turn from sin, and then we press forward toward the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. That that's the heart of God for us, is that there's this pressing, there's this moving forward in our lives and not allowing ourselves to be fond on wanting to rebel, not being fond on wanting to sin, not allowing ourselves to be in a place of folly. Because when you get in God's word and you read it for what it is, you see it's very blunt, it's very black and white, it's very clear on these things. So Corey, if you come, I wanna pray for you this morning, and I just wanna encourage you about the new life and the spirit that you've been given. And that when your flesh tries to rise up, we don't scream, we don't cry. <laughs> but we have wisdom and we take it and we know what to do. And we know how to respond in the spirit and not respond in our flesh. That we remember Lot's wife this morning. It could also be said like this, is we wanna be someone who wasn't preserved like Lot's wife was because she was preserved in that moment, in that glance that we not be someone who is preserved by the pleasures of sin, but we would be known for the prophet of sanctification, that you would see the prophet of sanctification in your life, the cleansing, the transforming, the renewing that's available to you. It can happen, it can change, it can renew. So if you bow your head, I wanna pray for you this morning. Holy Spirit, we just come before you. We look to you. Father, we thank you that you've given us this grace. You've given us this picture of Lot's wife. That we stop looking to our past. We stop responding to the things of our past. We don't respond to that flesh nature. But God, we do as Paul teaches us to do. We forget our past and we press forward to what lies ahead, the upward call of God in Christ Jesus the inheritance you've given us, the identity you've given us. God, don't let us be bound by the things of this world. We know you're coming back. The Bible says you're coming for a pure and for a spotless bride. God, we thank you. You don't just leave us guessing. You don't leave us wondering, but you give us tools to equip us to live life in the kingdom of God. And this morning, we respond to what your word says. We remember Lot's wife. We remember the lessons. We remember her past. We remember the punishment that she went through. Because God, when you come to find us and judgment comes on the, on the world again for those that 
don't believe. Don't let us be found in a glance toward sin, a glance toward the things of this world, but that our eyes be fixed and focused on the author, the perfecter, the finisher of our faith, as Hebrews says. So right now, Holy Spirit, it's an act of surrender. We just lift our hands. We don't lift it out of duty. We lift it out of a sincere plea that says, teach us, Holy Spirit. Teach us to walk in your ways. Teach us to live in the grace of God, to be empowered by your grace, to put off the things of the flesh and to put on our spirit man, to listen to our spirit man, to be led by our spirit man. I thank you for the freedom that's available in you, Jesus. We look to you this morning. We honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Everybody said, amen. amen. Well, we're going to dive in deeper to really.